0: This evening, as we continue in this month of Ramadan, and then we continue in this series where we, we have been looking at the multi-dimensional characteristics of Amir al our first Imam, Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, may God's peace and blessings be upon him. We reached to the juncture where tonight we will be commemorating the actual death anniversary, the actual shahadat. As we know that it was on the morning of the 19th of Ramadan, as he was about to lead the prayers or according to some of the traditions where he was actually leading the morning prayers, where he was struck on the head by the poison sword of Ibn Muljum Mal'un, and that it was on the late night of the 21st that he actually succumbed to the injuries and he left this mortal world. And over these last two nights and tonight also, we have been looking at the topic of the multidimensional man that Imam Ali is, peace be upon him. And we mentioned at the beginning, at the outset, two nights ago, the fact that when you look at history and even contemporary history and you look at people, whether they be politicians or statesmen or religious scholars, whatever they happen to be, that many times a person is an expert or can excel in only one aspect of life or maybe a few aspects. You may have people who are, for example, very intellectual, but they don't have other qualities. They might not be, let's say, a good father. They might not be a great husband. You may have a woman who has a certain character greatness, but she doesn't excel in every area of life. But as we mentioned from the first night, and as we are reviewing in these last few nights, Amirul when I say that he is a multi-dimensional man, is that every aspect that he ever touched in his life, he was nothing but perfect in that area. So as we looked at on the first night, when we looked at the family life of Amir al as a husband, he was the perfect role model for all husbands to come. And obviously I don't denigrate Rasulullah, this is outside of the realm of talking about the Messenger of Allah, because he is the perfect embodiment of every quality. But after the messenger of Allah, Amir al-Mu'mineen was the best husband ever. And obviously he had the best wife that he could be the best husband for. When it came to family life, he was, as I mentioned, the best father. The way he treated his young children. The way that he interacted even with the children of Medina. He wasn't seen to be harsh or very stern with them. So in family life, he was a perfect embodiment. He was a perfect Character, he balanced everything. Last night, as you'll recall, we looked at the spiritual component of the Amir al-Mu'minin. And we referred to him as being that perfect embodiment of spirituality. And as you recall, I mentioned the fact that because we rather we can say that the fact that every Sufi tariqah today on earth and probably those that have come and have long gone, all of the Sufi tariqahs today, they all trace their spiritual lineage back to Amir al-Mu'mineen, that this shows us his universality of a spiritual leader. And we also mentioned that many of the non-Shias, many Sunni scholars have written glowing tributes about Amir al-Mu'mineen and his level of connection to Allah. And obviously we've got many Christians who have written multi-volume books on the life of the commander of the faithful. And so in the spiritual realm he is the model to emulate. Tonight in our third in the series of four, I want to look at the politically engaged man that Imam Ali is. That he was not only in tune with Allah. Not only was he in tune with the family, but he was also a quote-unquote politician. Not in the negative sense of the word, and we'll define this word tonight. But he was the best exemplar of a politician. Thank you. ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Now, when I look at topic, the topic of politics, obviously we can look at it from multiple angles. Let me begin with the verse that I actually started the program out with which comes to us from chapter 57, which is Surah Al-Hadid, the chapter of Iron, verse number 25. And I'll just give us the beginning portion, the end portion is there, but I just want to focus on the introductory part where Allah says, لَكَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا رُسُلُنَا بِالْبَيَّنَاتِ That indeed we sent our messengers with what Allah calls the bayyinat, the clear evidences. وَأَنزَلْنَا مَعَهُمُ wal وَالْمِيزَانِ and Allah says, We sent down with these messengers, with these prophets, with these emissaries, these guides for humanity, two things Al Kitab and Al Mizan. The book, the scripture, whether this be what was given to Nabi Musa or Nu or Ibrahim or Isa, and obviously what was given to Rasulullah in the book of the Quran. And Allah says, Al Mizan, the scales, the scale rather. Now, this doesn't mean a physical scale to weigh things. Rather, there is obviously a deeper explanation of what are the what is the scale that Allah sent down, this balance. But what was all of this for? What is the Qur'an for? I touched upon this last night. Is the Qur'an just a book to read ceremoniously in the month of Ramadan? It's great that we read a juz every day. But is that the only goal of Al-Kitab? Is the role of the Quran just to put it on my phone as a screensaver, as a nice picture behind my on my on my on, on my phone or my tablet or my computer? Right? Is the Quran just to hang on our rear view mirror as an amulet, as a tawiz that Allah can protect us from it, from, from tribulations rather through the Quran? Obviously not. Right? The Quran has a much or it should have a much deeper and profound role in our lives. And as Allah says, that he sent down Al-Kitab. And then he says, nasu bil qist. So that humanity, that you and I, Muslims who follow the Qur'an, Christians who follow their scripture, Jews who follow their scripture, any people who follow their own divinely revealed scripture, nasu bil qist. That people may use that book, and as Allah says, that they may maintain justice in their society. So it's clear and evident from this verse as as just one of the thousands probably in the Qur'an that show us what is the role of the Qur'an. It's not just a book that when you have a marriage ceremony, you read it. Or when there's a funeral, you pick up Surah Yasin. Or when you go for Hajj, you walk under the Qur'an. These are all things we do with the book, no doubt. But the goal of the Qur'an is that you and I can read it understand it, implement it in our society to establish justice. And that's where politics comes in, right? Because politicians have to be people who are based on justice. Now, unfortunately, we live in democracies which are far from justice, right? They claim all of these beautiful human rights and civil rights and all of these other rights that they say that we have, And, you know, we go to the ballot box once every four years, let's say, for federal elections. But we have to ask ourselves, is there justice in our governmental system? I'm not here to critique Canadian politics, but it's something to think about. Where is the justice in our systems? And obviously, you'll say, well, there is some justice here and there. And I would say the same for the Muslim countries, the so-called Muslim countries. There's no true, ultimate, pure justice, even in the best of Muslim countries. But this is an ideal that we all have to strive for. And it starts at ourself, it starts at the level of our family, our religious communities, and then we take it forward from there into the world that is around us. Now looking at Amir al-Mu'mineen tonight and his politics, it's a challenge. And And I say this because of the fact that he is such a man that it's impossible to really pinpoint you know, where, where, where to look at him from in terms of the politics that Amir al-Mu'mineen led in his life and what he had to basically use in the society that he was living in. And you know, in order really for me to have been able to do justice to the politics of Amir al-Mu'mineen, we would have had to look at Islam at the time in Mecca, when the Prophet just began the mission, and then we would have to do a very thorough study of what was Amir al-Mu'minin doing during the time of the first three caliphs. Right? The first three khalafah, they had their own politics, as we all know. And if you read their politics, unfortunately, there are a lot of blemishes on their record. You can analyze it from a purely, you know, from an analytical point of view without any religious biases. And you can see the politics and I use it in the negative sense here that they employed in their government and in their appointment of their successors. But Amir al-Mu'mineen, he had to navigate through that maze of corruption that those other people brought into the politics of Islam. Again, Islam was a religion that was built on leading a government, on having a system. And so Amir al-Mu'mineen had to understand the, the, the past of what had gone through, and then try and very carefully navigate a way through the politics of his era to build build up an ideal Muslim society. And we know that he only had four years and about ten months before he was killed to do that. And in those four years, almost five years, he had to fight against, you know, he had the, the battles of Siffin. he had Jamal, he had Nahrawan, he had all of these battles. He wasn't actually fully able to successfully bring about a complete reformation of society. He did what he could do, given his time and the constraints that were put in front of him. Now that doesn't mean that he was not successful, we would never say that. But what we say is that because of the time that he was in, what he was up against, the the corruption of the past that he had to now come and and, and, uh, reverse, he didn't have the opportunity. And obviously since the time of Amir al-Mu'mineen, we believe that that time has not yet come. The other Imams that came after him, the 11 other Imams, they were not able to do what they were given as a mandate. And that's why you and I are sitting here tonight, waiting for Imam al-Hujjah. And we wait for him to bring about that government of justice that Amir al-Mu'mineen began to lay the the foundation for. And we pray that we can be of those to help our 12th Imam when he returns that we can hopefully be a, a conduit through which the Imam can use us to establish that government of justice upon this earth. For the hastening of the return of our 12th Imam, Imam al-Hujjah, let's recite one loud salawat upon Muhammad Ali Muhammad. So what is politics? Right? Because politics is a word we use so frequently in our life here. What is the definition of it? Generally speaking, politics is defined as a set of activities which is associated with the governance of a country or an area or a group. And it involves making decisions that apply to members of a group. So when you're in let's say a religious community, there is a sense of politics in there in, in, in a neutral sense of that term that you're governing. right You're elected to lead a group of people to you know push them towards a certain ideal. Maybe if you're at work and you're unionized, there's a form of politics there because you're having a leadership in a, in a sense. And obviously we have local politics, you have your provincial, you have federal politics. And so we see that politics can take on different roles, different levels. Um, and it can obviously relate to different people and a number, numbers of different people. Most of the time when that word politics is used, it's used in the negative sense. And, you know, many times you'll, you'll hear people say that politics is a dirty game. I don't want to get involved in the politics of X, Y and Z. Whether it's a local community and elections that happen, whether it's maybe your city council, people don't want to be involved in it. Um, and obviously there may be some people who feel it's haram, it's religiously prohibited to deal with politics in a secular society. You can refer to your marja takleed for the clear understanding of what is allowed and what isn't allowed because there is, um, there is some gray area, I would say, in where we as Shias especially can, uh, what level of involvement we can have with political affairs in a secular country. Um, but whatever the case may be, we tend to feel that politics and these positions are what we call a necessary evil. It's something that we don't want to do, we don't want to get involved with, but we feel oh, somebody has to do it, so let's just be that sacrificial lamb, and we'll get involved in it and try to make a change in the community. One of the things that we have to realize, again, keeping in mind Amir al and his multi-dimensional characteristics, and again, his the politics of Amir al is that you and I have two examples of a politician to follow. Ultimately two. We can either follow the politics of the son of Abu Sufyan, the likes of Muawiyah and his cohorts, and we know what kind of politics those people were. May Allah deal with them with his justice. Or we can follow the politics of the son of Abu Talib, alayhi Two people we can say are politicians, but they are di- diametrically opposed to one another. A man like the cursed Muawiyah, he used trickery, he used games, he used religion to get to his means. His goal was not to promote religion, it was to promote Muawiyah as an individual. It was to promote the family of Abu Sufyan, it was to promote Bunu Umayya. Amir Amirul muminin his goal was a godly goal. It was a goal to elevate Allah. It was a goal to elevate the Quran. It was a goal to elevate the teachings of all of the previous prophets on earth. And so when we look at politics like that, we realize that we can get involved in a limited level of politics by following the footsteps of Amir al Mu'mineen. You know, let me give you a quotation because what I just said might be hard for some people to hear. But well, let me quote from you a Christian author. His name is Nasri Sahla. He has a two volume, he's got a multiple books, but he's got two volumes. One about the life of Rasulullah, one about the life of al Mu'minin. So he's again a non-Muslim, he's a Christian author. And as I mentioned even last night, there are many Christians who have written glowing tributes of al Mu'minin. What does he say when he compares Imam Ali alayhi salam and Muawiyah? He says... Ali alayhi salam, he says, Ali is the student of the Qur'an, which is God's speech. And therefore he says, Ali is God's student. Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, is a student of Allah. Allah has taught Imam Ali alayhi salam. So whether it's ibadat, it's family life, it's politics, it's war. Allah is the teacher of Amir al-Mu'mineen. He says in Muawiyah, how do you describe a man like Muawiyah who's... Heritage has been nothing, his lineage has been nothing but filth. He says Moabiah is Satan's student, the student of the devil. And, and he says Satan was an angel who rebelled against God and preferred the earth to the heavens and the temporary world, this dunya, to the world to come, to the akhira. And so he was expelled from heaven. What a beautiful way to describe it, that Ali is a student of Allah and Muawiyah is a student, of, a student of Satan. And really when you look at the, and this is a Christian, keep in mind, it's not a Shia, it's not a Muslim, it's a Christian man who was very impartial, we can say, right? He doesn't have any biases, he wasn't born into a Shia family, he wasn't, you know, one of us. He's completely neutral, and for him to come and say that Muawiyah is a student of the devil, And Imam Ali is a student of Allah that holds a lot of weight. It holds a lot of weight. And again, as I said that, we have to understand that this man, Imam Ali that he did what he did for the sake of God, for the sake of Allah. And that was every step that he took in his politics was for the preservation of the religion of Islam, the teachings of the Qur'an, and the legacy of our beloved, beloved Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Unfortunately, when we bring up historical discussions in our majalis, you know, one of the things that people tell us is that, brother, don't talk about history. Right? Don't talk about Muslim history. It's a very painful past. Right? The companions are all equal. They're all good. Right? Despite the fact that some companions killed the other, but you say may God be pleased with both of them. You ki- you curse the, you, you, you praise the killer and you praise the one who was killed. But we have to realize that that logic is a very flawed logic, obviously. If you're going to tell me today in 2019 to disregard Islamic history, then that means I should throw away half of the Qur'an because much of the Qur'an is about human history. Doesn't Allah criticize the companions of Prophet Musa? Read the Quran. Allah tells us that you companions of Prophet Musa, Allah calls them, some of them, Sufaha. Right? Sufaha meaning simple minded, foolish people. They're companions of a Prophet. But Allah does not hesitate to call a spade a spade. Allah criticizes Prophet's uh, companions when they do wrong. And if Allah is right to judge companions of the previous Prophets, we see that Allah does the same about the Prophets' companions. Surah al an entire chapter of the Qur'an. The hypocrites, who were the hypocrites? They weren't non-Muslims. These were people who were believers, who were lovers, presumably of Islam. And then something happened to them that changed their ways. And so we have to realize that history is something that is a, necessi- a necessity rather for all of us to study, to go and get the books, to read the history, read the impartial historians, read non-Muslim historians to an extent, and see the difference and to see where the Ahlul Bayt, a.s. have shined, and where all of those who tried to circumvent the system, where they failed and unfortunately they put a blemish on the religion of Islam. And so when we study Amir al Mu'minin, I'll get to this and c- conclude in the next few minutes, is that Imam Ali did not ever enter into politics for his own benefit. He never entered into the Khilafat to line his pockets full of gold. He didn't do it for his name to be elevated across the Muslim empire. Read Najul Balagha, an amazing book compiled by Sayyid Radeen, who did his best to compile all of the eloquent sayings of Amir al-Mu'mineen. Look at how Imam Ali describes the Khilafat, this governance that came to him. One day he was sitting with Ibn Abbas, and Imam Ali was had his, his, his sandals, his champal, and he was stitching up his shoes. And he asked Ibn Abbas, that, what do you think these sandals are worth? Right? They're ripped up sandals, he's stitching them back together again. And Ibn Abbas says, maybe it's worth this much or this many coins. And Imam Ali says to him, he says that these sandals are worth less than the khilafa in my eyes. Because it wasn't about power or fame or, or position for Mullah. It was about, and he says this in the, in the khutbah, I think it's sermon number 50, maybe Najul Balada. He says that this government that I'm taking is khilafa that is being imposed on me. If I can ensure that the oppressed have the rights given back and the oppressors are put in check, If I can establish hak and put down batil, then that has worth in my eyes. But if I can't do that, then throw this khilafat in the garbage. And maybe that should be our outlook, us in this room. When we think I should enter into politics, I should run for jama'at president, can I establish justice? Am I doing it for that reason or something else? People say, can I run in the local elections, become mayor of my city? Can you establish justice in your city? Can you be one who would stand up in the face of injustice? Or will you be like all of our other Canadian politicians, that when you get a bit of money, and somebody begins to you know, bribe you in, in legal ways, that you lose all your morals. So it's dangerous. Politics is a dangerous business. But Imam Ali al-Islam showed us that you can do it. And you can do it right. And you can do it and save your akhirat as well. Salwa ala Muhammad Ali Muhammad How does Imam Ali Sorry um, Can I just ask everybody to move a bit forward please With one loud salawat upon Muhammad wa wa'ali Muhammad How does Amir al-Mu'mineen, our Mawla, Describe leadership, right? This is integral also to our own contemporary lives Because, again, we're talking about the multi-dimensions of Imam. But we have to realize that we call ourselves a Shia of Ali. And that means, Shia means follower. Literally, the word Shia means one who follows somebody. And if I call myself as the Shia of Ali, I need to try and follow something of his message. And all of us ultimately are, in theory, leaders. We're leaders as, you know, maybe we're not at the level of of politics. But at home, we're a leader. If we teach in madrasa, we're a leader. If we're in all, involved in any subcommittees of our community, we're leaders. So ultimately, all of us, men and women, young and old, we all have a duty of knowing what it means to be a leader. And so we have a very beautiful hadith from Imam Ali where he says, "Inna هَذَهِ imārata amanatun." He says, indeed, this imara, this leadership you have been given, is, a, is an amanat. It is a trust from Allah. We know that a trust is something that you hold temporarily. Somebody says, can you hold my phone for me? Can you hold this for me? I'll, I'll get it back from you in a couple of hours. You don't own that. You're holding it for them until they want it back. So Mullah says, Inna imarata, amanata, fa So whoever deals with leadership, with, with being unfair in a in state of being a kha'in, khianat. Forget about the rhyming methodology of the Imam in the Hadith. He says, if you are a leader, and you are not using your leadership in, 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 in a fair and a just way, alayhi lana May Allah remove his mercy from you. You know, we, we send Lanat on the 19th Ramadan, we sent the Lanat on Ibn Muljim a hundred times, Beautifully, we recited that beautiful du'a. May Allah accept our du'as on that night. Every time we recite Ziyarat Ashura, Ziyarat Baratha, Allahumma lan awwala dhalamin, and Thani, and Thalith, and Rabih, we send Allahumma lan Yazid, and Mu'avia, and Ala Abu Sufian. We curse all of those people to damnation, that may Allah remove His mercy from them. But now what is Mola saying? If you're a leader, and you do not act with fairness in your leadership, May the lanat of Allah be on you. It's powerful when you think about it, because we're cursing ourselves potentially. If I'm a leader and I'm not doing what I should be doing and I have the ability to change society or a community or whatever, I'm in that position of sending a on onto myself because I'm not doing what is my responsibility. And so that is something that we have to be very, very cognizant and aware of. That when we come into this position of leadership, again, whether it's you're you're the leader at home and you've got your spouse and your children and your extended family or you're, let's say, a madrasa principal or, or a teacher or maybe at work you have some leadership capacity as a team leader or project manager. If you're a leader, you have that responsibility to ensure that you act with fairness. And this is what Imam Ali showed us his entire life. Whether it be something as simple when his brother came to him looking for help and Imam Ali had a candle on, a candle, maybe a few pennies, and he would turn the candle out because he was entering into a private discussion. It wasn't based on a official discussion with his brother. He would turn the candle out and then he would talk and then if he had to light the candle again, he would light it again. How many times do we, you know, use personal or, or, or business um, assets for our personal work. Right? We maybe we go to work and we say, "Ah, oh, they have extra pens in their in their you know office station. I'll take a couple of pens to use at home." They're not going to worry about a pen for twenty five cents. They got it's, you know it's a multi billion dollar company. It's not a matter of a quarter or a penny. It's a matter: Are we the Shias of Ali? Are we following what he would want us to follow? I'll conclude with one last hadith insha'Allah before I go into some of the tragedy of Amir al-Mu'mineen. One more salawat upon Muhammad and Ali Muhammad, please. Is, and it's a powerful saying where he actually shows us maybe a blueprint for how to lead other people, how to govern other people, how to start with ourselves first of all and our family and then work from there. And he says in the hadith, he says, أَحْبِبْ لِغَيْرِكَ مَا لِنَفْسِكَ Love for others what you love for yourself. If you're a leader at work, if you're a manager, you're whatever, you know how you would like to be treated. So he says, love for other people what you would love for yourself. And hate for others what you hate for yourself. It's a very simple rule that the Mullah is giving us. Do good to others just as you want them to do good to you. And don't oppress others just as you don't want to be oppressed. It's a very simple formula for leadership at home, at school, in the center, at work. If you get elected to Prime Minister of Canada, maybe one day, maybe one of you will be the Canadian Prime Minister. Who knows, right? But the rule, the goal is, is that you follow the teachings of Amirul Mu'minin. You don't say because I'm stuck in the in the system, I have to use the system to get you know to get where I want to get. No, as I said, Amir al-Mu'mini, when he dealt with Muawiyah, he could have used the same skullduggery and antics and shenanigans that Muawiyah used. And Imam Ali says this in Najul Balagha. Again, go and look at the, 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 the sermon. He says, I could do what Muawiyah is doing. I could use the same games and tricks that he's doing. But there's a difference that this is the son of Abu Talib, a man of principle, a man who was a student of Allah. A man who the Prophet says, Ali ma'al Qur'an al Qur'an Ali, He can never go against the Qur'an. It's it's opposite to his nature. It's impossible to even think that Mola would ever go against any verse of the Qur'an. And this is seen in the days that led up to his shahadat. And actually not even that, those few hours that the poison began to go through the body of our Mola.